This is the Room Now podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of RoomNow.com. It's the 30th of November, 2018. This podcast is brought to you by Room Now Live. When was the last time you went to a CME meeting and thought, wow, or that you could easily, regularly, genuinely talk to the faculty during the meeting, during the lecture even, and in the breaks? And when was the last time you actually had access to all the meeting materials as downloads or electronically. Room Now Live is gonna happen in March of 2019. You can go to roomnow.live to read more about this meeting, but it's gonna be a neat, cool meeting. It's for the better rheumatologist. It's in Fort Worth. It's gonna have a flipped classroom style of learning, short lectures, lectures, a lot of interaction between the faculty and the audience, a lot of Q and A's and cases, TED-like talks, streaming video, you really don't want to miss this meeting. Again, it's for the better rheumatologist. And isn't that you? So this week in the news, we have what? DMARDs that may actually lower infectious risk. How about a treatment for osteoarthritis that might make you smell? And lastly, to needle or not needle in carpal tunnel syndrome. At the top, we have a report from the VA medical centers talking about a serious problem in rheumatoid arthritis, that being one of chronic lung disease. It actually occurred in a high percentage of patients in, in their very large cohort that they followed. Uh, 27% of patients actually had a, uh, uh, evidence of chronic lung disease, and this increased the mortality risk significantly by as much as 50%. Um, the sad part is that our therapies for rheumatoid arthritis did not alter these statistics. So use of methotrexate or biologics seems to have no effect on uh, what's going to happen if you do get chronic lung disease, suggesting this is a unique subset that merits more research, more attention, and newer therapies. Again, DMRs and biologics, especially TNF inhibitors, have been shown not to really work in this subset. Uh, an interesting study looked at ANCA-associated vasculitis and showed that there were, uh, amongst uh, almost 200 patients, there were 95 se severe infections um, that amounted to about 26 per 100 patient years of exposure. What they showed was that the use of trimethoprim or, or self uh, and sulfamethoxazole bactrim uh, and a prophylaxis with bactrim led to a reduction in the risk of severe infections by as much as 70%. Those who developed severe infections with ANCA-associated vasculitis were those who were older, had evidence of bronchiectasis or endobronchial lesions and or COPD. So we do know that, again, uh, this is a bad outcome. Uh, it's one that, that seems to be unique to these patients and it needs to be prophylaxed. Um, and so TMP SMX is a, is a good option. There was another recent report that looked at what happened in, again, ANCA-associated vasculitis and showed, again, that, that Bactrim worked, but they also showed that there was an evidence for the use of hydroxychloroquine and antimalarials in the prevention of severe infections. They noted a number of studies that are out there that suggested that maybe you could actually achieve some benefit by using this. This comes from a, a lupus study, a 33,000 patient lupus study showed that use of hydroxychloroquine uh, reduced the risk of, of infection compared to those who never took hydroxychloroquine by, um, what was 27%. Another study from Spain looked at 3,600 patients with lupus and showed a smaller effect, but nonetheless a protective effect. So again, uh, amongst the many things that we know that hydroxychloroquine can do for our patients, 
maybe it should be in the water, should be in the Kool-Aid for everyone because it may also protect against the risk of infection. More research I think is needed here. Uh, an interesting literature review looked at seropositivity uh, in RA patients. We know that uh, ACPAs and rheumatoid factor uh, are important. 75, 80% of patients have those. Um, being double positive is uh, more important. There's a new antibody called anti-carbamylated P uh, antibodies that also seems to have the same predictive value. In this particular study, they showed that, that if you were triple positive for ACPA, uh, rheumatoid factor and CAR-P antibodies, it had incredible specificity, almost 100% specificity, although finding all three was only seen, um, depending on how you measured it, from 11 to 39% of patients. Suggesting that obviously doing rheumatoid factor and uh, CCP makes sense, maybe we should be adding CAR-P to that profile um, once that becomes more widely available. An interesting report uh, appeared, um, I think it was in Medscape, from Ken Sag and colleagues looking at the safety of bisphosphonates. And again, a very important statistics that's quoted that you should keep in the back of your head because you talk about this with your patients. That is, what is the risk of developing either osteonecrosis of the jaw or atypical femoral fractures? Atypical femoral fractures that's quoted in this particular report, one in a thousand is the risk. I'm sorry, one in a thousand is the risk for osteonecrosis. Wait, no, look at the, look. I'm sorry, you're right. Atypical femoral fracture is one in a thousand. The much more rare event is the osteoporosis of the jaw, and that's one in about 10,000. Uh, and that uh, other uses of other drugs like zolandronic acid, that up to a third of patients will have more commonly arthralgias and myalgias. But that one in 1,000 to one in 10,000 is an important statistic to quote to patients who are rushing to stop their bisphosphonate. That may be okay, and, and, and drug holidays may be appropriate for some patients. However, if the patient has a much higher risk of developing a fracture, from their osteoporosis, stopping the drug for these very rare events is to say, quite simply, idiotic. So again, I think you need to know those numbers when coaching your patients on how to best use their therapy. I put up a tweet about TB testing. I'll go over this quickly. These are my guidelines based on expert guidelines. The bottom line is that everybody uh, should be uh, tested for PPD uh, or uh, with a PPD or IGRA, uh, quantifieron or T-spot uh, um, before the use of a TNF inhibitor and other biologics. Uh, if the patient is negative, then you can obviously start therapy. If the patient is positive, you have to evaluate for TB. Do they have signs and symptoms? Do they have a negative chest X-ray? Um, can you culture either spurum or urine or anything else to look for evidence of an active infection? If it's negative, then they have LTBI and you can immediately proceed to uh, treat them while starting the biologic. You do not have to wait nine months or anything like that. You can use both the same. Again, the wording in the package insert is it must be uh, LTBI prophylaxis must be started before including two minutes before. If they have an indeterminate result, I tend to repeat the test and may even change the test from a quantifieron to an IGRA or to a, a tuberculin skin test. If it's the same, you can proceed and then watch and worry. If it's negative, you can go on and proceed. Often many indeterminate results will turn negative after therapy is started, suggesting uh, that it was related to inflammation, much in the same way energy can be seen. So you have to remember that up to 10% of patients who were initially PPD or IGRA negative after they get treated may show up to be either PPD positive or indeterminate quantifieron positive, suggesting that they may have had uh, latent TB that was disguised by their energy from their inflammation. Thus, 
Patients who are starting on a biologic, especially a TNF inhibitor, should have a repeat test done either three months after or when you switch from one drug to another um, to document that they, they did not have energy before. You'd be surprised. Again, the number, multiple studies, it's about 7 to 10%. You will see that. But when you do see that, you have to make sure it is LTBI and not a new conversion, and therefore you have to look for signs of active TB. An interesting meta-analysis again appears on a common issue that I keep repeating here, but it bears repeating, and that is a meta-analysis of DMARD, six studies, biologics, five studies, show no significant benefit when these agents are used in osteoarthritis. They are placebo, basically. So again, we need other therapies for osteoarthritis. Good news comes in the form of uh, uh, new data from the, the, the NRMP, the Residency Matching Program, showing that rheumatology is actually one of the most competitive of fellowships uh, with two, what is it, 221 positions and 313 applicants in 2018. Uh, uh, Two-thirds of these were filled by U.S. grads, one-third by foreign grads. Commentary by David Carp from UT Southwestern says it looks like it's going to be the same for 2019. The numbers are staying up. It's getting competitive. We need funding to expand our fellowship positions so that we can meet the unmet need of, uh, of a loss of a workforce that's going to, going to occur soon. I want to remind you, and we did so in a, in a Twitter report, that there are six FDA-approved TNF inhibitor biosimilars in the United States. Three for infliximab, that's a Ifixi, Renflexus, and Inflectra. Um, there are two for Adalimumab, that's Amgevita and Citelzo, Celtelzo, and one for Etanercept, uh, and that's Arelzi. Interestingly, this past week, Rituximab, a biosimilar Rituximab, was also approved, but only for use in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. They did not get the other indications uh, that we have for uh, Rituxan, including in vasculitis and pemphigus and uh, in rheumatoid arthritis. An interesting study of overweight and obese uh, individuals, uh, elderly individuals who had knee osteoarthritis in a double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial when given garlic actually showed significantly lower pain scores, lower resistant levels, uh, and better outcomes. They also measured TNF levels that did not change with this um, herb, if you will. But nonetheless, it's, it's curious that maybe your patients who are taking garlic may be getting some benefit from it. There is some weak research showing that garlic may have an effect on metalloproteinases and maybe on cytokines like resistin. It has been shown to lower CRP levels in some patients, suggesting this, like some of the other ones we've talked about recently, including frankincense and others, may have some benefit in our patients with osteoarthritis. We had a, a nice report on the use of steroid injections in individuals uh, who have carpal tunnel syndrome. And this was actually a 234 patient open label sort of pragmatic trial where patients were randomized to receive either a 20 milligram um, methylprednisolone acetate injection into the carpal tunnel um, done clinically, not with ultrasound guidance or anything, or they were randomized to night splinting uh, and the outcome measure was at six weeks. There's an actual tool for this called the Boston Carpal Tunnel uh, questionnaire, the BCTQ. And, it, and while the vast majority of patients completed the trial, the BCTQ scores were lower for those who received the injection. Um, I don't know if it was gigantically lower. It looked, it was significant and in, in statistically, it looks like it's possibly clinically, clinically meaningful. I often am faced with, do you want the injection now? Do you want to try splinting and do this conservatively? Usually the decision is made by the, the, the weenies that don't want to have an injection. Um, but clearly, maybe this data suggests that you should do the injection because um, patients might fare better. And then uh, our last report is on the Aura, 
um, uh, trial. This is a trial of Vocalspor and a calcineurin inhibitor in patients with lupus nephritis. This data was presented at prior big meetings like uh, ULAR and ACR. Um, 265 patients with active lupus nephritis were randomized to receive one of two different doses of Vocalsporin versus placebo. Uh, and the complete renal response was seen in only 19% of patients on placebo, but 27 to 32% on Vocalsporin. Actually, turns out the higher response was seen with the lower dose of Vocalsporin. Again, the side effects were roughly about the same. There were a few more deaths in that low-dose Vocalsporin group. Again, lupus nephritis uh, trials are going to be riddled with a lot of serious adverse events because of the use of steroids and lupus and whatnot, and also having nephritis. But nonetheless, I think this is very encouraging data and very clear data showing that Vocalsporin is going to be a, a contender uh, in the lupus treatment world, we need to see further studies. Remember, the anafrolumab studies, which looked great in phase two, lit list, earlier this year reported their phase three trial, didn't work. So there's a lot. Uh, it's very difficult to do lupus trials and to prove efficacy because patients are highly complex. They have multiple comorbidities, multiple therapies. The outcome measures are arguable. I think this approach that they've taken with Vocalsporin, going after a subset of lupus patients, the nephritis patients, as opposed to trying to get a whole indication for lupus, this makes more sense than trying to get a whole indication looking at sleet I2K or SRI4 responses. Anyway, that's it for this week at Room Now. Um, go to the website. You can click on um, the links to find out more about these specific reports. Again, you can go to roomnow.live to learn about our exciting meeting in March of 2019. Artie Kavanaugh and I are hosting that meeting. You won't be disappointed. We'll see you next week. Bye.